If you would, take out your Bibles with me and turn to Philippians chapter 2, as well as have your Trinity hymnal um, available and probably open to page 845, where the Apostles' Creed is found. As we turn to God's Word through this uh, exposition of the Apostles' Creed, let's turn to Him now in prayer. Please join me. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, we acknowledge that your word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path, and we need, Father, illumination on the journey. So, Father, we ask that your word and spirit would be at work. Give give us growing understanding of your word. Give us a growing desire to put it into practice. Father, may your word that is before us be our rule. May your Holy Spirit be our teacher, and may your greater glory be our supreme concern, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Well, last Sunday and today are two messages on the person and work of Jesus Christ. Our Apostles' Creed speaks of, I believe in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, and last week, We looked at uh, his work, uh, his humiliating work, and today we will look at his exaltation. We we ended our study uh, of the Apostles' Creed last Sunday, uh, Jesus having suffered, been crucified, having died, having been buried, and having descended into hell. But things are about to change. Yesterday, out at the Belmont's house for dinner and a... um, Bonfire I was talking to someone and, and talk, he mentioned in our conversation about uh, just raking leaves the other day. Uh, the smell of raking leaves and the fall air just brought to him memories of football in the past. Well, they say that smell can take you back to the past. Well, for me, um, it's, it's usually a song. It's music. It takes me back somewhere. And, and uh, I grew up in a home with uh, older brothers and an older sister, and, and my brothers were, were finishing high school in the early 70s, and there was this one particular song that I heard all the time that came out in 1969. I believe that was the year that Stan and Charlene got married. Yes, 1969. Means 50th is next year, I believe. Yes, well, here was the, the words to this song. What, I can't even say this without trying to sing it, but I'll say it. What goes up must come down. Spinning wheel got to go round. Yes, blood, sweat, and tears with uh, the, uh, that recognizable song. Uh, what goes up must come down. Spinning wheel got to go round. But what we see in the Apostles' Creed is just the opposite. What goes down must come up. At the center of the Apostles' Creed is Jesus Christ, and at the center of the Creed's affirmations about the person and work of Jesus Christ is his movement from death to life, from being down to rising up. So unlike blood, sweat, and tears singing, what goes up must come down. No, the Apostles' Creed affirms the teaching of Scripture, what has gone down in humiliation, will rise up in exaltation. We're at week number eight. Christian, what do you believe? An exposition of the Apostles' Creed. 
And as we've been saying, while, these, while creeds such as the Apostles' Creed is subordinate to and under the authority of the Bible, they are nonetheless vitally important as they help us to organize and summarize the teaching of Scripture. And while it does summarize the apostolic teaching, it does not exhaust it. In, in fact, today we are just going to scratch the surface of what Scripture has to say about the rising the reigning, and the returning Lord Jesus Christ. Remember, when we say, I believe, I believe, I believe, three times in the creed, it is not faith in faith, but it's rather faith in the faith, the faith that's been once delivered for all the saints. And as we've been saying, and we need to remind ourselves, the benefits of continuing to use this ancient creed First of all, it promotes personal humility. Once again, we are not the first to to say this. We are not the first to confess this. We are joining a long parade of saints behind us, saints ahead of us. It promotes personal humility. It serves to commend the faith and to defend the faith, to to know what it is we believe so that we can uh, share it with others but also defend it against attacks uh, from the outside and even attacks from the inside. And finally, when we say, I believe, I believe, I believe, together, we join our hearts, it promotes church unity. Here in the Apostles' Creed, we're in the second part. It's organized Trinitarian, you can see it. God the Father, Jesus Christ, His only Son, the Holy Spirit. It's Trinitarian. The long section on the Son stands between the shorter sections on the Father and the Spirit. We started off a few weeks ago saying, I believe in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord. Jesus, His given name. Christ, His title, His office. Last week and today, we are looking at His person and work in His humiliation and now in His exaltation. We looked at last week, and it bears repeating, what offices does Christ execute as our Redeemer? Christ as our Redeemer executes the offices of a prophet, of a priest, and of a king, both in his estate of humiliation and exaltation. And for those of you that got the preparing for worship email, you saw Westminster Shorter Catechism 28, which asked the question, wherein consists Christ's exaltation? And the answer is this, Christ's exaltation consists in his rising again from the dead on the third day, in ascending up into heaven, in sitting at the right hand of God the Father, and in coming to judge the world at the last day. It sounds an awful lot like what this Apostles' Creed contains as well. Well, having a confession of faith in a worship service is not some sort of dead tradition with no meaning, rather Confessing our faith, declaring what we believe, serves to strengthen our faith. You see, we need to be reminded of what we know. We need to be reminded often of what we believe. There are many things that we do not know. In fact, think about this week ahead. Things are going to happen that we had no idea. And yet we can go back to those things we know, those things we believe. Because there are certain things that we know for sure, without a doubt, things that both anchor and power our lives. And of all the 
all the sections, all the clauses, phrases, statements in the Apostles' Creed, I believe that these, this section in particular on the exaltation of Jesus serves to anchor our lives and power our lives, especially in the unknown difficulties that lie ahead. Join with me in Philippians 2. You may remember last week where we looked at verses 6 through, uh, seven, uh, through 8, and I'll read those again. Speaking of Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And that's where we stopped last, last week. But, but Paul continues now when he says this in verse 9, Therefore, after Jesus humbled himself all the way to the point of death on the cross, therefore God has exalted him, and as we'll see, exalted is speaking of his rising from the dead, his, his ascending and reigning from heaven and his promised return. God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You see, there it is in Scripture, what goes down, the humbling of Christ, the humiliation of Christ, comes up in His exaltation. Well, today, we're going to briefly unpack and explore the exaltation of Jesus Christ in three areas, past, present, and future. And we're going to remind ourselves of why these declarations of the truth of Scripture are such good news. You'll notice from the outline, first of all, it's good news from the past. Remember last week we left off, he descended into hell, period. The creed continues, the third day he rose again from the dead. Good news from the past. Now what is the resurrection of Jesus Christ? Now, how do we cover that today? And also look at his reign and his return. Well, it's going to have to be brief, but here are some things that need to be said. The resurrection, a fact of history, the evidence is overwhelming. I read in a number of places the comments that were made that it is harder not to believe in the resurrection given the evidence than it is. Uh, uh, it's harder not to believe than to believe. It takes more faith, in other words, not to believe than to believe. As you see in Scripture, just the, the vast witnesses. The resurrection of Jesus is not just a revival of life, a return to life. Remember, he raised Lazarus from the dead. But what happened to Lazarus? He died. No, this is the entrance of, uh, into a new and unending life, resurrection life. The Scriptures speak of... Uh, uh, the resurrection marking Jesus as the Son of God in Romans 1, of it vindicating his righteousness in John 16, demonstrating his victory over death as we see in Peter's Pentecost sermon in Acts 2. 
Last week, you may remember those three times from Mark's gospel, Mark 8, 9, and 10, where Jesus told his disciples ahead of time of his suffering. He would be rejected. He would be handed over. He would be killed. He would suffer. He would be abandoned. But listen to this, Mark 8, 31. Yes, suffer, be rejected, be killed. But remember, Jesus also said to them, after three days... Rise again in Mark 9. And when he is killed after three days, he will rise. In Mark 10, after three days, he will rise. Jesus spoke ahead of time of both his death and his resurrection. Now, why is the resurrection of Jesus good news? Why, when we confess that we believe the third day he rose again from the dead, why is that such good news? Well, by his resurrection, Jesus Christ has overcome death so that we might overcome death as well. By his resurrection, by the resurrection of Jesus, our hope of a new life is not just a future goal. It is a present reality, as Paul says in Romans 6. And by his resurrection, our future glorious Resurrection is guaranteed, and we see that unfolding in Paul's description of the resurrection in 1 Corinthians 15. Now, this news, this reality of the resurrection of Jesus Christ is not just good news in the abstract, but it is good news for you and me personally. It results in a transformed life. Um, In his work, Christianity and Liberalism, uh, J. Gresham Machen said this, What was it that within a few days transformed a band of mourners into the spiritual conquerors of the world? It was not the memory. It was not the memory of Jesus' life. It was not the inspiration which came from past contact with him, but it was the message, he is risen. That message alone gave the disciples a living Savior, And it alone can give to us a living Savior today. He is risen was the message. And that message had power. And that message changed lives. But it doesn't stop there with just news that on the third day he rose again from the dead. But it continues. He ascended into heaven. Now, what is the ascension of Jesus Christ other than what most folks forget about? Well, it's his return to heaven 40 days after his resurrection. We see at the beginning of Acts, Acts chapter 1. It's his return to where he came from. And like the transfiguration where Jesus displayed his incarnate deity, the, 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 the ascension was a sign as well for his disciples as they, they saw with his words and believed his promise that he would ascend and that he would also return. It was his withdrawal from human sight in order to rule until he returns in judgment. Now, why is the ascension of Jesus Christ good news? How does his ascension benefit us? Well, Number one, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, John writes in his first letter. 
And Jesus is the one who intercedes. He prays for us. And we see that in Romans 8 and Hebrews 7. He always lives to make intercession. So we have an advocate because Jesus has ascended. We also get the Holy Spirit. Jesus said that it was good that he were to leave and depart so that he could send the Spirit. So because of the ascension, we get the Holy Spirit. And thirdly, our lives are hidden with Christ who dwells in glory. Paul writes in Colossians that our lives are hidden with Christ in God. So Christians can enjoy here and now a hidden life of fellowship with God, the Father and Son, by the Spirit, that nothing, not even death itself, can touch. The ascension of Jesus means also that we are in heaven right now as we heard in that word of pardon, of assurance, of comfort from Ephesians. That's where we are, with Christ, by faith. So the exaltation of Jesus Christ is not only good news from the past, his, his being raised from the dead, his ascension into heaven. It's also good news for the present. You see, Jesus has not just been raised from the dead and ascended into heaven. He is presently ruling from heaven. So here is good news for the present. And is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. Seated at the right hand. Here's the image. Jesus is in the position of preeminence and privilege. When Peter especially was preaching in Acts as well as Paul, they spoke of Jesus being at the right hand of God. We see that in Paul's writings in Ephesians and Colossians. We see it several places in Hebrews. Jesus in his sitting is his session. His session being an old word to speak of sitting to rule. His work on earth is done and yet his work in heaven continues. Now why is the present rule and reign of Jesus being seated good news? It's good news because from there Jesus rules the world by his word and spirit. It's from there that we have that advocate before the Father who always intercedes on our behalf. Again, Romans 8, Christ Jesus is the one who died, more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. And we read in Hebrews 7, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. Jesus is reigning and ruling by his word, through his spirit, here on earth. And my friends, that is great comfort. That is great assurance. This is present good news of his exaltation. Another song that went through my mind over and over again is one that was written just a few years ago by um, a Kentucky native. Uh, the words are, uh, it's a song called King of the Jungle. And it goes something like this. Uh, what I see is telling me the world's gone crazy. But what is real says God is still on his throne. The Lord of the gentle breeze is Lord of the rough and tumble. 
And he is still king of the jungle. And that's Jesus reigning and ruling, being seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty in that position of preeminence and privilege. So the Apostles' Creed, notice, looks back to the past, but it also looks around to the present, and then it looks ahead to the future, to the future return of Jesus Christ, his second advent. And so the exaltation of Jesus Christ is good news about the future. From there, he will come to judge the living and the dead. Well, what is the return of Jesus Christ? Well, as I mentioned earlier, over 300 times in the New Testament, something is said about the return of Jesus. It's not just the apostles who speak of it. It was Jesus himself. And in our study of Mark a few years ago in Mark 13, we saw from Jesus' own words that the Son of Man will return personally, triumphantly, redemptively, justly, and unexpectedly. But why is the return of Jesus Christ good news? And I believe this is the center of gravity for where we are today here. I believe it's great comfort for the believer in at least three ways. First, the return of Jesus Christ means a full and public acquittal of those who trust in him. Because in Westminster Shorter Catechism 38, we read this, that what happens at the resurrection. Believers shall be openly acknowledged and acquitted. That is really good news. Openly acknowledged before the world, you are mine. Acquitted. The declaration of not guilty that you've heard before is going to be publicly made. And in that, God's people, secondly, will be vindicated. All God's enemies and ours, real enemies, real enemies that we have because they oppose the gospel, they oppose us. Now, those enemies will be condemned to everlasting punishment. Think about it. Think about it. There are spiritual forces that are indeed opposed to Jesus, opposed to the gospel. We've seen that before the fall of man. It's still the gospel Christians are being opposed We have real enemies, not people that we disagree with, not people that we have a hard time getting along with, not somebody that buys the car that we wanted to buy. Those aren't our enemies. No, we will be vindicated because all of Christ's enemies will be condemned to everlasting punishment. Our enemies, our enemies will be condemned. That is good news. And thirdly, we will dwell with Christ in body and soul in the glory of heaven. There is going to be a public acquittal. There's going to be vindication. And then we will dwell with Christ in body and soul in the glory of heaven. You see, the return of Jesus is the coming of the end. It's the coming of the end of suffering. I know some of you 
in ways large and small are suffering. The return of Jesus will end it. Some of you battle depression. Some more extensive than others, but all of us are there at times. It's the end of depression. Some of you are battling health issues, bad backs, bad knees, cancer. It's the end of doctor's visits. It's the end of loneliness. And gloriously, it will be the end of sinning. We will no longer sin and we will no longer be sinned against. It's not only the coming of the end, but it's the coming of the beginning. The beginning of ceaseless and unending praise. The beginning of perfect communion with God. The beginning of a delight in Him that will increase without measure forever. With this statement, from there He will come to judge the living and the dead. Given the fact that Jesus himself says it will come like a thief in the night, what must we do? Not be deceived, not despair, but be on our guard and stay awake. Be prepared. How to get ready. How to get ready for the return. By keeping short accounts with God and man. By taking life one day at a time. In the words of J.I. Packer, quote, Budget and plan for an ordinary span of years, but in spirit be packed up and ready to leave at any time. I've heard it said that when it comes to die, when it comes your time to die, make sure that's all you have to do. Is there anybody today that you need to ask for forgiveness? Is there anybody today that you need to forgive? Today is the day. Today is the day. Are you traveling lightly when it comes to the things of this world? You know, one reason I think people don't look forward to the return of Jesus is because they love life here and now. My friends, this world is not our home. We have been made for something else, something more beautiful, more believable, more unending than here. Does the comforts of 21st century life in America dull our longing for the return? Because the hope for the future is not that you and I are going to get everything Right, we're not going to get our act together. Our hope for the future is that Jesus will return and make everything new, everything right, everything beautiful. So again, are you packed and ready to go? I'm speaking to my sister this week and family friends have died back home. As I mentioned last week, neighbors to this church building and neighbors to our home have died. In one sense, that's, a, that's the return of Jesus. People will meet him. But we're speaking of that unknown day ahead where Jesus will return to make all things new. And so we've briefly considered the aspects of the good news of the exaltation of Jesus Christ. Let's go back to where we began, back to spin and wheel. Again, the lyrics have it all backward. It's not what goes up 
that must come down, but rather Jesus Christ and all those united to him by faith, what goes down must come up. And it's not spin and wheel got to go round either. The songwriter and the lead singer in an interview said this, don't get caught up because everything comes full circle. Um, no, life is not a spinning wheel. Life is a walk. It's a journey with a destination. It was true for Jesus Christ and it's true for every person who is united to him by faith. Because you see, my friends, the Christian life is a life of following Jesus. We follow Jesus both in his death It's the cross that we bear. We follow him in his humiliation, but we also follow him in his resurrection, his crown, his exaltation. Because you see, the exaltation of Jesus through his past resurrection guarantees our exaltation. The exaltation of Jesus through his present reign and promised return guarantees our exaltation. What does James say? Humble yourselves before the Lord. Go down before the Lord. And what? And He will exalt you. What does Peter say? Humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God so that at the proper time He may exalt you. My friends, the Lord's day is a day of worship and rest. And so today, rest in the good news of Jesus Christ past resurrection from the dead. Rest in the good news of his present rule and reign from heaven. And finally, rest in the good news of Christ's promised future return to this earth to bring us home to heaven with him. Let's pray. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, we thank you that after Jesus was humiliated, he was exalted. And we believe the truth that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue confess that he is Lord. Oh, Father, help us to now do that willingly as you change our hearts to see both our sin and yet our Savior. And Father, help us to run to him now, bow before him now. And oh, Father, we thank you that a day is coming where justice will prevail. And Father, for those here united to Jesus by faith, for believers, it will be a great joy and gladness. Oh, Father, prepare us for that day as we trust Jesus now and as we pray in his name. Amen. Christians, we do have.